Father God, we thank you tonight for your mercy and for your grace, for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you are a wonderful maker, the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image, in your likeness, Lord. We thank you that we are uniquely different individual by your design. And you desire that we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for the salvation that we have in you tonight. We thank you, Lord, that it's complete. It's a finished work. We don't come here tonight to labor or strive. We come here to rejoice and to rest in you. Father, we thank you that even in the midst of a battle, you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemy. You've met our every need. You are leading and guiding our lives. And even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. We thank you that we're more than conquerors in you, that you work all things together for good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so tonight, Lord, we ask you at this midweek service that you would encourage your people. Lord, continue to move among us by your Spirit. Help us to know your presence in a mighty way. And as Victor prayed, Lord, speak to us where we are in your word tonight. Draw us closer to you. Build us up. Strengthen us. And help us, Lord, on this journey of faith that we're walking with you. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 35. The end of 33 and all of 34 was, uh, was some tough things to experience, to consider, to see. It's, uh, it's been sad because God told Jacob to go back to Bethel. And he heads on his way. After meeting his brother, he lies to Esau and says, I'll meet you, you go ahead. But he doesn't. He goes to Succoth and he starts building. He builds him a house and he builds him some barns, we would call it, some booths for his cattle. And he's going to settle down. And he realizes that that's not going to cut it. That's not going to do it. And so he goes to Shechem and he pitches his tent outside of the city. And he buys a parcel of land there from a man named Hamar. And while they're there, his son takes note of Jacob's only daughter, Dinah. And then in chapter 34, Dinah is raped. She wants to check out how the other women of the city live. At the end of the chapter, if, if his only daughter being raped wasn't bad enough, two of his sons, Simeon and Levi, become mass murderers. And now he's fearful, fearful for his life. And in his own words, at the end of chapter 34, he says, this stinks. I mean, you've made my name to stink. You've made me a reproach to the nations. And everyone who hears this, they're going to try to kill me. My witness is shot. But it's all because he he didn't go 30 more miles. He spent several years 30 miles away from Bethel, the place that God had told him to go. 
And so many times we come up short. And it doesn't have to be a a lot. Jesus said it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's just those little things in our lives that hinder us, that keep us from experiencing all that God wants from us. And in chapter 34, God's name is never mentioned, not once. But moving from chapter 34 to 35 is like leaving the desert and going into a tropical paradise. There's this breath of fresh air. God's name is mentioned ten times in the chapter tonight. And I'm so thankful that God does not leave us when we fail him. Paul tells Timothy, when we're faithless, he remains faithful. When we deny him, he cannot deny himself. He remains who he is. He remains ever constant, ever sure, and his grace is sufficient. And so tonight we're going to look at this pilgrim's progress. He's, he's failed so far as a pilgrim after God changes his name, and he's failed as a parent. And so what does God do? Life stinks, according to Jacob. He's blown it. Verse 1 of chapter 35, 35 says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise. Arise. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. That reminds me of Joshua. Joshua takes over. God says, Moses, my, Moses, my servant, is dead. I want you to stay in my word. No man's going to be able to stand before you. You're going to go across this Jordan. And he comes to Jericho and he marches around seven times. The walls fall down flat. He leaves in a great victory. And he comes to a little place called Ai. And he thinks, hey, this is just a little thing. See, it's, it's those little things that get us. And so they say, you know, we don't need to take the whole army and go against this little place. We just take a couple thousand guys and go over there and wipe them out and be done with it. Well, the guys come back with their tails tucked between their leg in absolute defeat, running back to Joshua. Because there was some garments and there was some things kept back and hid under a tent of a man named Achan. Joshua falls down and he says, Lord. And God says to him, stand up. Get up. It's interesting that the enemy wants you, he wants me, when we fail, when we falter, to stay down. Now, logically and carnally, that makes sense. If you get up, I'm going to hit you again. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I, I'm down. But the Lord doesn't say, Jacob, you've blown it. Just sit down. Stay down. You're benched. You're done. You're over. You're shelved. Forget it. I mean, you've had plenty of chances. No, God says, I want you to arise. Arise. A righteous man falls, the scripture says. But he gets back up. Why does he get back up? Because God's command is always, always arise. And look what he says. Arise, go up. Go up. The way of the righteous is upward. The highway of the Lord is upward, not down. Often we feel down and out, but that's not the end of the story for the believer. God says, arise, I want you to go up. And look where he says, I want you to go to Bethel. 
Several years have passed. God said, I want you to go to Bethel. He didn't. 30 miles away, he hangs out in a place called Shechem, checking out the world, his daughter checking out the world, and everybody in his family becoming worldly and carnal. That's the thing about the world. We talked about that last week. You cannot live in the world and not be worldly. There's one answer to worldliness. Separation. That's the only biblical answer to worldliness. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. And so the Lord says, Arise, I want you to go to Bethel. Notice this. This is important. We'll come across this before we end this chapter. We probably won't finish it tonight. But he says, Go up to Bethel and dwell there. If you remember, Bethel was a place called Luz. Luz meant separation. In chapter 28, it was the first time we come to this place with Jacob, and he calls it Bethel, meaning the house of God. Isn't it interesting when you falter, when you fail, the last place you feel like going is God's house. And it's where God tells Jacob to go. Go back to my house. Go back to God's house. See, the enemy wants us to stay down. He even th- you're just going to fail again. You're just going to mess up again. God's done with you. He's through with you. He's finished with you. Look, look, Jacob, he changed your name. He made you Israel. He made you a prince. He gave you the birthright. He gave you the blessing. He did all of this. He saved your life, and look what you've done. You're no prince with God. You're never going to be many nations. Your daughter's raped. Two of your sons are mass murderers. You've got all this contention and strife in your life. Your whole life has been a flop. A supplanter, a conniver. Just stay down. God doesn't say that. He says, arise. I want you to go up to Bethel. I want you to dwell there. I want you to stay in my house. Where did the prodigal son go? (laughs) What did he say? He came to himself in the pig pen and he said, I will arise. And I will go back to my father's house. There are servants there who have plenty to eat, and I'm sitting here wishing that I could eat what those pigs are eating. I will arise. I will go back. If you're here tonight and you've blown it, if you faltered, if you failed, why are you going to sit there? What are you sitting there for? Arise. Get up. Go up. That's what God's calling you to. That's what he's calling me to. Not to sit there in defeat and in condemnation and in guilt. No, get up. Go forward. So he calls him. And he says, when you get there, here's what I want you to do. Make there an altar. Make you an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. I want you to make an altar. See, this altar represents a place of sacrifice. It represents a place of prayer. What God wants to do in my life and your life is to literally, a different spelling, but to alter our lives. He wants to change us. He wants to, and that's the only place change comes from. And so when we mess up, we're to arise, go back to God's house to be altered, to, to give our lives, to stand in the sacrifice, to believe, to pray, to be changed. I want you to make an altar, God says. You know, 
Romans chapter 5 says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's time to arise. That's the pilgrim. I don't know if you've ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's an interesting little book. But it's, it's two steps forward, step back, two more steps forward, step back, a little bit more progress, then back. You know, that's, that's the way our life is. That's the way this journey of faith is. But it's progress. There should be this constant moving forward in my life. And we see this with Jacob, and we'll see it in this chapter. So verse 2 says, Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. Interesting. The first thing Jacob does when God says, it's time to go back to God's house, Jacob says, listen up, family. We're going to God's house, but we're not going to take this junk with us. Far too many times, believers try to take all their junk to God's house. All that stuff that they picked up in the world, Jacob says, it's time to put away these strange, it's a strange stuff. You need to put this away. All these little trinkets and charms and bells and whistles and all of this stuff that we pick up along the way as we make our way in and out and through the world. Jacob says, it's time to put this away. If you remember, all the way back in chapter 31, when he's leaving Uncle Laban's house, they're about to head out, and his favorite wife, Rachel, she takes up a few of Daddy Laban's idols. She sneaks them. When Laban catches up, he does a little inventory search everywhere, and he gets to Rachel, and Rachel's sitting on her, her camel saddle, and it's hid there in her camel saddle, and it's not here, Daddy, but I can't get up. Lies through her teeth to her dad, but she's clinging to, no wonder God says that a man and a woman should leave their father and mother and shall cleave to their wife, to one another, because there's some stuff possibly at daddy's house <laughs> that shouldn't be leaving when you leave. But she clings to it, she holds on to it, and she sets a precedent. Now, I don't know when or if up until this point, Jacob knew about those idols. I don't know if he ever knew, but i tell you what he does know. He knows from the time they've spent in Shechem, folks in the family have picked up stuff that they shouldn't have picked up. And it's so easy. It's so easy. And that's, God doesn't say to you and to me as believers, come out of the world because I don't want you all to have any, more, have any fun. The psalmist says, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're told in the New Testament that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. Everything. Everything to enjoy. So God is not telling me, come out of the world, Gordon, because I don't want you to have fun. I want you to be miserable all of your life. No, that's not, that's not what he does. He calls me out of a life of sin because, not because sin is bad. 
We think, oh, God calls us out of sin because sin is bad. No. Sin destroys our life. That's why he calls me out of sin. Oh, and you can enjoy it for a season, the scripture says. It's fun. Keeping up with the Joneses. It's fun to keep up with the Joneses. For a little while, you're running right there with them. <laughs> you know, they, they, they get up a little bit more, and you, you get up a little bit more with them. But the problem comes is when you get out way too far beyond where you really ought to be. And then it really don't matter where the Joneses are. I don't really care because look where I'm at. That's what sin does. It happens in relationships. It happens in everything. Lust, pride, a little bit of pride. You know, after all, aren't you supposed to take pride in yourself? See, it starts small. It starts little. It's those little philosophies, those little ways of the world. Jacob said, it's time to put this stuff away. He's finally come to his senses. See, God called him long before this to be sanctified, to be set apart. He touched his thigh and he took away his run, gave him a limp to slow him down a little bit so he could stay in step with the Lord. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't slow down. He just stops right in the middle of the world. And his whole family, where where, where the leader goes, that's where those who follow go. Whatever dad does, well, the rest of the kids are going to do. And it's not just dad, because Rachel was the first one in this family to bring idols in. And now all the children do it. There is no way for you and for me to teach our personal kids, our grandchildren, nephews, nieces, kids in the church. We can't say, don't do this when we do it. They're not hearing it. Well, Gordon, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, right. Try it. Many have tried before you. Many have tried before you. And those same people who say that, when they're about 18, 19, they look to their friend or their parent and go, I don't know what happened. I don't know. How did this happen? How did this? So here's what Jacob does. He says, put away the strange gods. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Paul in Corinthians says, what profit does Baal have with the Lord? I mean, there's no way. The Holy Spirit and demon, there's, there is no fellowship in that. Light and darkness, it doesn't mix. But so many times we hold on to worldly things. And it becomes very easy to do it. It becomes very easy to do it. And I'm not going to start going through your house because you could go through my house. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful what we bring into the household. We need to be careful what we bring from the world into our homes because it does affect our lives. It affects us. It affects our outlook. It will affect our children. It will affect where we're at. And we can rationalize it away and say, it's only 30 miles. It's only 30 miles. But I want you guys to remember over the last two chapters the devastation that has taken place over 30 miles. Oh, he left Uncle Laban. He came back, but he didn't go far enough. 
Paul says in Hebrews, we are not of those who draw back. And in Philippians, he says, we are those who press forward. We are the ones who are to reach for that which is ahead. He says, I want you to put this stuff away. Put it away. In 1 John chapter 5, at the very end, John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. And you say, well, Gordon... Ain't no idols today. Really? Oh, yeah, they are. There are. They're all over the place. And we can make just about anything an idol. Pick up little trinkets. It's just this little thing here, this little thing here. Next thing you know, my, my trust is in that plastic card. Or my trust is in my bank account. Or my trust is in my job. I've had this job and I'm going to become the whatever. We can make those things idols. And Jacob says it's time to get rid of this junk. And then he says this, put it away, verse 2, and be clean. Be clean. And then he says, change your garments. All through the scripture, the clothes, the garments represent our character. It's a picture of character. In Jude, in Ephesians, we're told to put off the garment stained and spotted by the world. We're told to put on Christ. He says, I want you to put away everything out of your life that doesn't please God. Be clean, be cleansed, and I want you to change your garment. I want you, I want you to change the stuff around you. I want you to change what is within you. And I want you to change your appearance. Change the way you look, the way you act, what you do. And look what he says. Here's here's leadership. If a man's not doing what Jacob's doing in verse 3, he doesn't need to be parading around the house claiming to be the head of the household. Because this is a beautiful, perfect picture of head of the household. Look what Jacob says. Let us arise. We've heard that before. We've heard that before. Let us arise, he says, and go up to Bethel. We've heard that before. I will make there an altar unto God. We've heard that before. Who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Head of household doesn't mean, you do what I say, woman. That's not what it means. So many challenges and fights within homes has been because of that mentality. No, head of household is this. The head of Christ is God. The head of man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And so God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, make an altar. Jacob turns to his household and says, let's get rid of the junk. Let's get clean. Change your garments because here's what we're going to do. We're going to arise, go to Bethel, and build an altar. So, Are they following Jacob? Or are they following God? Paul says it like this. You guys follow me as I follow Christ. See, that's that's a whole lot easier when you start talking about that word you're not supposed to talk about. Submission. Verse 4 says, And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, their earrings, not a sin to wear earrings. It's very obvious that this had pagan connotation to it, these earrings from an idol standpoint. 
And look what Jacob does, verse 4. He hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. Isn't that interesting? He took all of those idols, all of those trinkets, charms, earrings, bracelets, all of that stuff that had anything to do with idolatry. He took it, and he come to the tree. And at the base of the tree, it was buried. It was dealt with at the tree. It was all taken care of once and for all right there. It was buried. It was done. This tree, I believe, is a beautiful picture of the cross. When I'm going back to God because I've messed up, I need to take whatever it is that contributed to the mess up and I need to bring it to the foot of the cross and there I need to leave it. I need to leave it there. And he does. They take all of it and they bury it there at Shechem. Now, if you remember, at the end of the last chapter, Jacob said, everywhere I go, people are going to try to kill me because of what you two boys done. My name is reproached, and everybody's going to be against me. You know, but Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. And look what happens here. Verse 5. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. The fear of God went before them as they made their way. So Jacob came to Luz, which was in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And in obedience, verse 7, he built there an altar, but notice a change here. And he called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. El Bethel. Not just Bethel. See, this is pilgrim's progress. This is, this is growth. Because Bethel means house of God. El Bethel means the God of the house. Twenty years have passed. Since in chapter 28, he says, this is God's house. I am enamored. I am, I am taken away. I am taken back at the presence of God in his house. God's house. This is, this is none other than God's house. And that's okay. That's great. That's, that's good. That's, that's the beginning. That's where it all started. But now, he says, this is El Bethel. This is the God of the house. We need to be careful that our Bible study is not focused on the Bible. We need to be careful that our worship is not focused on worship. We need to be careful that church is not focused on church. Jacob has realized, no, it's not just the house of God. That's not really the focus. That's not really the important thing. It's the God of the house. It's the God in the house. It's the relationship with Him. That is what's important. So He's back. Everything is is turning around. In verse 8 it says, But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. If you remember, Deborah came with Rebekah to meet Isaac. 
It was her, it was her handmaid. This is Jacob's nanny. She's the one who helped raise him. She was there as he grew up. Now, Mama has been gone. And now, Nanny, Deborah, she's gone. She was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of that is called Elon Bakuth, which means the oak of weeping. If you ever lost your mother or anything that would relate to your mother, you know how heartbreaking this moment is in Jacob's life. He's already lost his mother. If you remember, his mother said, hey, I want you to go to Uncle Laban's house. I want you to be there just for a little bit, and you can come back. Well, he never came back 20 years later. And long before that, mom's gone. And now Deborah's the only thing that reminded him, kind of anchored him to her, and now she's gone. And losing a mother, is it kind of makes you feel like an orphan. It, it kind of... You kind of lose your, it's like that's where your identity came from, mom and dad. And when mom's gone, it's kind of a weird thing. At least it was for me. And so she's gone. And it's interesting, verse 9, God appears unto Jacob again. At this moment, Deborah's gone. He appears again. God is always ahead of us. He's always trying to go before us because something interesting is about to happen. He comes back to Jacob again in Padanaram and he blessed him. Interesting, like verse 1, he doesn't bless him out. See, we're, all, we're always thinking when I mess up, when I blow it, God's going to bless me out. No, he's not. That's not what he's interested in. He's interested in blessing me. He's wanting to fix me, restore me, cleanse me, get rid of the things in my life that shouldn't be there so that I can enjoy fellowship with him. I can enjoy his blessings. And I've said it time and time again, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. What God gives me, I don't have to worry about. I don't have to worry about anybody taking away from me. I don't have to, I don't have to stay up at night. <sighs> Is it going to... God gave it to me. If he wants to take it away, he can take it away. But he's the only one that can take it away. You can't take it away from me. The thug in the neighborhood can't take it away from me. And if he does, God let him. And that means God's just going to turn around and bless me back. So I don't have to worry about it. Let not your heart be troubled. And he says this, and God said unto him, verse 10, now God will always, he blesses us, he forgives us, his grace is sufficient, but he's always going to correct. Whom the Lord loves, he rebukes and chastens. God doesn't take our sin and sweep it under the rug. They're dealt with on the cross, but then he deals with us as sons and as daughters. And he says to him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall be called Jacob shall not be called any more Jacob. You've been acting like Jacob. And it's time for me to remind you, you are not Jacob. I don't know about you, but the Lord is constantly tapping on my heart and saying, Gordon, you have not been acting like my son. It's the whole Romans 6 thing. The old man must be mortified. He must be dealt with. He's dead, Gordon. He doesn't live anymore. 
Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he's reminding Jacob, this is Pilgrim's Progress, this is what's going to happen, because there's this struggle constantly. Our, our enemies are Satan, the world, and our old sinful nature. That's what we are constantly warring against. You're not Jacob, but Israel. Israel shall be thy name. You are to be governed by me. And he called his name, notice this, Israel. He called him that again. You are Israel. Never, ever, ever forget that you're a child of God. When you forget you're a child of God, you get comfortable in the world. Because the folks in the world look like you do. They got two ears and a mouth and a nose. They, they look like you do. They have to take a bath like you do. They pay bills like you do. They drive a car like you do. They go to work like you do. And it's easy to forget, if we're not careful, that we're, like, we're not like them. And it's not by our own doing, but it's because of His grace and salvation. I'm His child. I am no longer a stranger. I'm not a citizen of this world anymore. I'm a pilgrim. I'm passing through. I'm on my way home. I'm of a different kingdom. I serve a different king. I march to a different drumbeat. And God reminds him, you're Israel. And we need to remind ourselves and let God remind us over and over again, you're my son, you're my daughter. And as my daughter, you don't talk that way. As my son, you don't act that way. As my son, you don't worry, you pray. As my son, you let vengeance be mine. You don't slap back or hit back, or fight back. We've got to constantly be reminded. As my son, you stay with one woman for life. You don't look at her even to lust in your heart. There's a constant reminder of who you are. And not only that, not only can we not forget who we are in Christ, you're Israel, he says in verse 10, and verse 11, I am God Almighty. You don't forget who you are, and you don't forget who I am, he says. You are Israel. You are not Jacob. You are not that old man. And I'm God Almighty, he says. I am God. Do not forget that. Now, be fruitful. Multiply. He doesn't say, sit on the sidelines. You've blown it. You're in detention. How long does it take to be forgiven? As long as it takes for me to say, Father, I've sinned, forgive me. If we'll confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you've got to prove, you've got to make Him believe you mean business, right? You know, you've got to get to prayer just right. You've know, you kind of got to wind that motor up and you've got to kind of get a moan in your voice. Oh, I mean, no, you don't. My forgiveness is based on the cross, the blood. It's based on the sacrifice, not my prayer and the way I pray it, nor the words that I use, nor whether or not I feel or anyone else feels I was serious enough about it. Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. You're forgiven. He's faithful and just. So now, remember who you are. Now, go out, be fruitful, multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I give it to you. 
And God went up, verse 13, from him, from the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, a pillar of stone. And here in verse 14 is the first time it's mentioned. And he poured a drink offering thereon. He poured out a drink offering. You can find it in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's a great study. As a matter of fact, in Philippians and in Timothy, Paul says this, I am ready to be offered. I am ready to be poured out. So he took this wine. (laughs) Abraham met with Melchizedek with oil and wine. And now here's Jacob. He sets up this stone, this pillar, and he takes this wine. We know what wine represents. It's a picture of the blood. And he pours that blood out, wine. It's poured out there. And then he takes oil, which is a, a representation of the Holy Spirit. It's poured out there as a drink offering. He's saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm all yours. And Jacob called the name of the place which he spake with with him, Bethel. He's back at God's house. And it's a beautiful picture of Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Jesus speaks to the Ephesian church, the church of Ephesus, and he says, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. You haven't lost it. You left it. What's the remedy? Remember, he says, from the height which you have fallen, repent and redo. Do your first works over. What what has he done? What has Jacob done? He's remembered. He remembered Bethel. God's spoken to his heart. He's remembered Bethel. He's repented. Get this junk out of here. Get cleaned up. Change your garment. And he's returned, and he's done his first work. What was his first work? What is the first thing he did at Bethel? He took that pillar, and he set it up. And now here he is again, doing the exact same thing. But... Verse 16 says, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, a few steps forward, a few steps back, a few steps forward. He journeyed from Bethel. You remember verse 1? Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, Jacob. Why do we leave God's house? There's a lot of reasons. Why did... Why did Jacob leave? You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because his nanny's dead. Maybe it was change. I don't know, but we need to be careful that we don't let things move us from the house of God. Oftentimes, things change. You ever notice that? Nothing seems to stay the same except God. But everything in life is constantly kind of fluid. It's constantly changing. If we're not careful, we'll let something that changes change us. The only thing that should be changing me is God, not the things around me. Well, you know, Victor don't sing that song that I like. So I, you know, I don't, worship's not what it used to be. So I guess it's time to, I don't know, maybe I need to just change. Maybe I need to just go. There's all kinds of reasons people leave the house of God. You know, this is like the fourth Sunday in a row, and they just have, people aren't talking to me. And I, I don't, why do we leave God's house? God, God told him, arise, go back to Bethel, and stay there, dwell there. 
and he's journeying again. Mm. <laughs> it's Pilgrim's Progress. We've all done it. We've all been there. We'll cover a few more verses and we'll stop. And it came to pass, no, he journeyed from Bethel there in verse 16, and there was put a little way from Epreth, and Rachel travailed, and she was in hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing. She's dying. It says, For she died, that she called his name Benoni, son of my sorrow. Benoni, son of my sorrow. Now, there's some interesting things here as we reflect on Rachel, because if you remember, in chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel says to Jacob, Give me a child, or I die. She was frustrated. She was frustrated because her sister Leah was having baby after baby. And so she set her life, her purpose, she made a dedication. And she spent her whole life trying to keep up with and outdo her sister. Now, now I think there's something, it's a little side note, it's a little rabbit trail here, but I think it's important for us to kind of pay attention to this because we need to be careful, you need to be careful what you dedicate your life to. What you spend your life trying to be, trying to do. She said, of course, give me children or I'm going to die. I can't take Leah outdoing me. I'm prettier than she is. Besides that, my husband loves me more than he loves her. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid that my beauty is not going to be enough because she's having a bunch of children and these children are going to make him turn to her. And, and so I'm going to spend my whole life, I'm going to spend my whole life trying to, and she gets to the end of her life, and she dies in sorrow. Isn't that sad? She dies in sorrow. Why? Because she spent her whole life living for something that was fruitless. God didn't call her to keep up with her sister. Many, many believers, much less the world, the world is constantly doing it, but many, many believers spend their whole life trying to be something, do something, have something that God has never planned for them to have. Trying to measure up to someone, trying to please somebody, trying to get acceptance by someone, trying to appear something. And here's what happens when you live that life. You get to the end of it. And it's a life full of sorrow. It's a life full of sorrow. God says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of good, not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for Gordon Keaton. It's a perfect plan because it's God's plan for me. And if I get sidetracked, it's going to be a life of sorrow. If I want to live a fulfilled life, a life of excitement, a life of joy, then I need to find out what God has called me to do and I need to do it with my whole heart. And I'll get to the end of it with joy. Well, Jacob's not going to have it. 
But his father called him Benjamin, meaning son of my right hand or son of my honor. You're not going to be son of your, her sorrow. But there's a beautiful picture here too, though, of Jesus. What does Luke chapter 2 say about Jesus' mother? Sorrow. Your heart's going to break. A sword's going to pierce you through. Matthew chapter 3 says, his father, though, was delighted. Where, where does he sit? At the father's right hand. It's a place of strength. It's a place of honor. So Benjamin is born. Rachel dies, verse 19, and was buried in Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave, and it's there to this day. So Jacob has a new start. God's turned his life around. He's got rid of the junk in his life. He's back at the altar. And then he drifts again. He drifts again. Abraham drifted because of a famine. What makes me drift? What makes you drift? We need to spend some time meditating on that, thinking about that, because God's called us to his house. The prodigal son drifted because he wanted to experience all that God had for him, but he wanted to experience it in a way that God hadn't given it to him. And he wanted it before it was his father's time to give it to him. There's all types of reasons, but we, we need to guard against that. And we need to guard against living your life, my life, for a reason that God hasn't intended. Because it's fruitless. It's going to bring sorrow. So we've, we've learned from Jacob's life, and we're wrapping it up here. We're going to go into their genealogies, and then we're going into Joseph's life. A whole different study to learn so many wonderful things from his life. I'm excited about. But, but Jacob looked to the world, and, and tonight we need to remember, as we wrap up our time studying and meditating on his life, there's nothing out there. The enemy knows how to package it, and make it look good and make it smell good and make it seem good, and it's like, oh. But it destroys. Because the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But there's always grace. God says it arise. Go up. Go up. So tonight, get out of the world. No. <laughs> go back to God's house. And on your way there, ditch the junk. Well, it took me years to gather this stuff up. You know, the world says that, you know, change is slow. It takes time. It takes long enough to stop at the foot of the tree and drop it. That's how long it takes. That's how long it takes. You could do it tonight in the last song as we close out this time. You can lay it down at the foot of that cross and you can go to God's house. It takes that long. It takes that long. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the study of Jacob's life. Thank you that the Old Testament was written for our learning. As we've made this study, I know there's been many, many places and times that I've related to his life. Father God, we ask and pray tonight as we've gathered here and listened to your word, meditated and allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Lord, would you speak to each one of us? And if there is 
if there's a tendency in any of us, in me, in us, Lord, to pitch our tent toward Shechem, Lord, would you deal with our hearts tonight? Would you remind us once again who you've called us to be? That we don't belong there. We belong in your house. It's where you've called us to. Lord, I pray that you would help us, as John said, to keep ourselves from idols. Whether it's small or great, Lord, don't let us let anything come between us and you. Lord, you gave your life that we would never be separated. You experienced separation from the Father so that we would never be separated. Lord, help us not to take some substitute. Help us to recognize that no matter what we try to stuff into our life, no matter how good we try to hide it in our tent or in a camel saddle, it's going to hinder us, Lord. It's going to distract us and it may be the reason that we spend our whole life focusing on the wrong thing instead of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, you have not appointed us to sorrow, but joy and peace and blessing in your fellowship with you. And that's where we want to be. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to never forget who we are, to never forget who you are, And Lord, if there's some junk in our lives tonight, help us to take inventory. And I pray tonight, Lord, that if if you speak to us by your Spirit individually, if there's anyone here, me included, Lord, that there's stuff in our lives that you want us to get rid of, Lord, I pray tonight we would purpose in our heart as we close out this time that we lay it at the foot of the cross that it would be buried there. And we'd arise and go up, making progress. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your spirit tonight. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives. Bless your word now to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to now allow you to do within us what you sent your word for. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, and we thank you. Amen.